Last week you had me because Joe was doing stuff. And so we talked about the law and how you can break a Sabbath law. And so this week, I'm pulling an audible on Joe, we're going to start a new bit during the worship service called, How Did We Break the Law Today on the Sabbath? How did we? Well, how did we? I have my hair in a braid. Did you know, are you ready? Did you know that braiding is too close to weaving? And so I am a naughty lawbreaker on the Sabbath. Hit it! For those of you that weren't here last week, for, the, <laughs> for those of you that weren't here last week, I was very offended that Megan got walk-up music, you know, because it's her band. <laughs> so I think they're trying to make up for that. Uh, so the worship this morning is uh, one of the things that makes uh, Megan such a great uh, director of worship is that uh, she works really hard to make sure that the music she picks accents the passage. It's not that like the worship is one part of church and then there's a message and every once in a while they collide together. She takes a lot of effort to make sure that they are woven together like her law-breaking hair. So it's worked out good. And so um, the title of this week's message in the Gospel of Mark number 12 is Goodbye Sabbath. Which is a reminder, everybody silence your phones right now. Silence your phones. I keep forgetting to remind everybody of that. But um, um, she did a, Megan did a great job introducing the topic of the Sabbath last week and about breaking the laws of the Sabbath. And today, um, we're going to take a deeper dive into exactly what the Sabbath means for Christians. And before I get started, I want you to know something. It's Sabbath. I want you to see this now from now on, ever in your life. The word Sabbath is merely a synonym for rest. Sabbath, rest, rest, Sabbath. And I will tell you, nobody enjoys a Sabbath more than those who are weary. And there's a reason for that, because that's the way God has set it up. When you're tired, when you're weary, when you're worn down, you need rest. We're going to talk about that today. But I want to talk specifically about what the New Testament and the Old Testament teach us about the Sabbath for Christians. There are many opinions in Christian circles about the Sabbath and how it relates to what we do on Sunday. What we do here on Sunday isn't a Sabbath. There are several cult-like offshoots of Christianity that teach that all of the rules of the Sabbath still apply. The Seventh-day Adventists are one of them. They have such an unhealthy view of the Sabbath that they have almost allowed it to replace the gospel. Later, the Seventh-day Adventists actually spawned another cult group called Jehovah's Witnesses. Did you know that? So what is the Sabbath? What are Christians supposed to do about the Sabbath? It's all through the Bible. Do you even know what the Sabbath is? What role should Sunday play in our walk with Jesus as it relates to a Sabbath? Are we acquired? Are we required to attend church? Well, the answer is yes, but no. <laughs> If it were up to me, I'd say yes, because I love seeing you guys, and I miss you when you're not here, and I mean that. 
But is there a New Testament biblical mandate that we should be adhering to when it comes to the Sabbath? Should some Sabbath rules apply to our Christianity and our Christian Sabbath? Is Sunday even a Sabbath? And if you are here today, right now, are you better than those that are skipping today? Well, obviously, the answer again is yes. (laughs) But no. So let's read the passage in Mark chapter 3. And again, he entered the synagogue. He does a lot of stuff at church. That ticks people off. It's really cool. And again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath? He's talking to the Pharisees now. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Jesus does at the the Pharisees, grieved at their hardness of heart because they didn't answer. Here's this man with a withered hand and he's asking him, is it better for me to let him continue on in suffering or heal him? What if he was dying? Should I just let him die or should I save his life? He's upset because they don't want to answer that. Why? Because it's all a big trap to them. It's a big joke. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So let's talk a little bit about the history of this passage. I want to talk about uh, Sabbath hijacking. First of all, before you can understand how the Sabbath was hijacked, I want you to see biblically what the Sabbath was supposed to be. It was supposed to be basically just a day to chill. Exodus 28 through 11, it says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Here is a thing that a lot of people don't understand. Holy doesn't mean religious. It doesn't mean clean. It doesn't mean righteous. It means separate, sanctified, set apart. Keep the Sabbath set apart. Not religious, but different. Exodus 31 describes it as simply a break. That was it. Worship, rest, recreation, recharging. And God created a structure in the working of the six days of creation and setting up the seventh day as a a way for man to rest. It was a great symbol. It was an object lesson. God didn't need to rest. We needed to rest, so he set it up. And so the Sabbath was meant as a symbol, a reminder of the rhythm God had for man in his creation. And there is, frankly, a very obvious biological rhythm to how men need a moment, a time, a day of rest. The important thing was to make it different than the rest of the week. And it's fascinating, you know, there are many moments in human history where atheistic societies have tried to deny this reality of the need for a rhythm of rest in a week. Uh, Napoleon did it in France. Stalin tried it in Russia. Mao Zedong did it in China. Atheistic, communist, murderous, dictatorial societies. And they all failed when it came to changing the work week. They always met with failure. People became less productive, less able to do their work. And so there was a practical side of the creation rhythm that God set up with the Sabbath. 
But something begins to happen right before Jesus comes on the scene. And these Pharisees, these Judaizers become Sabbath worshipers. And while it was an important part of the history of Israel's life, this Sabbath historically, they would practice the Sabbath in varying degrees of severity at different times. But there's nothing in the Old Testament about the rules they had instated, like about no healing, no helping. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it says it's fine. Do what you want. Prepare food, travel, visit people, whatever you want. Just keep the day separate. Now, perhaps this was some sort of overreaching reaction of being under foreign rule for all these years. And maybe they were just going overboard on the Sabbath to protect their culture from disappearing under Roman rule. Maybe, I don't know, if you give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe that was some of it. But after a while, they took a lot of pride in how they kept their Sabbath. And the Pharisees, they all knew what the Old Testament said about Sabbath. They knew what it was supposed to be, a separate day for rest and relaxation. They knew that, but because they were so arrogant and so foolish, they polluted it with ridiculous laws and rules and religious rites. I mean, rules like a doctor or a relative couldn't help a sick sick person unless they were bleeding out. That was literally like a rule. If they're bleeding out, you can stop it. But that's it. Otherwise, it just got a hope for Sunday morning because, you know, the Sabbath was Saturday. And this began to lead to pages and pages of other rules until the Sabbath became, get this, a cultural religious idol. The Sabbath actually became the most revered of all religious idols in the land. It was the most important outward expression of godliness. They served the Sabbath. They worshipped the Sabbath. It became their God, no better than the golden calf in the days of Moses. The same thing. The Sabbath had become a golden calf. They threw it in the fire of man's religion, melted it down, and molded it into something it was never intended to be. And because of that, they become Sabbath destroyers, rest destroyers. Through this process, the Sabbath in that day became something that everyone dreaded. It caused you to walk on eggshells. I got to get everything done on Friday because I don't know what's going to happen. The Sabbath's coming. I don't want to break any Sabbath rules. Then I'm going to be let, looked down upon. I'm going to be scourged. I'm, I'm going to be hated. And the Sabbath became a burden. What was supposed to be a symbol of refreshment became the worst day of the week. Fear, spiritual anxiety. On a day designed by God for restoration and relaxation, people lived in fear of violating Pharisee expectation. So strategically, if you think about it, right, strategically, if Jesus was looking to stir things up, it makes sense he would go to the heart of their religious, self-righteous piety. So that's the history. What about the spiritual? What does Jesus do? What does God do? And when and how does he do it? I've titled this section, Sabbath Abolished. It's a strong word, isn't it? Abolished. Jesus, what we've seen so far in just the first two chapters in these first few verses in chapter three, he is a habitual Sabbath breaker. (laughs) He did whatever he wanted on the Sabbath. He traveled, he healed, 
He cooked food. He harvested grain. He violated the Sabbath blatantly, openly, publicly, brazenly. And he would advertise it. As a matter of fact, if there had been Facebook in Jesus' day, he'd have gone on Facebook and said, yo, I'm breaking the Sabbath again today, right now. Look what I'm doing. Pick. <laughs> so what he would do. So here he is in the, he's in the synagogue. He's preaching again. And it's just amazing, right? Because he's this habitual breaker of Sabbath. He's exposing their wicked, superficial, proud system. And because of that, Jews were seeking to kill him more and more and more. What cause? Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he called himself God. He made himself equal with God. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I made this thing. The combination of claiming to be equal with God and breaking the Sabbath was just a line too far. So what does he do? There is a minor healing that creates a major conflict. So he, he's in the synagogue, he's preaching, and just like he did with the house in Capernaum, you know, with the, he reads their minds. I mean, wouldn't it stink to be on the other side of Jesus in an argument when he knows what you're going to say? I mean, he knows what you're going to say, even if you don't say it. And he knows in his heart that they have set a trap for him. Now, I don't know. It's possible. And Mark the Evangelist, and if you're not following Mark the Evangelist on Twitter, you're missing out during the week. You really are. Okay? Mark the Evangel 1. Follow him on Twitter. It's possible that this guy with the withered hand was a plant. Part of a trap. To see if Jesus would heal him. He reads the minds of the Pharisees. What they're thinking. And he stops his sermon. And points to the man in the back, who didn't ask for any of this, by the way. He says, hey, you in the back with the hand thingy. <laughs> Come up front. Jesus sets up this non-emergency healing because the guy wasn't going to die. He could have survived another day with a withered hand. But he sets up this non-emergency healing for one purpose, to violate the Sabbath. It is a public assault on religion. I just love that about Jesus. I just do. I just, that's why he's my savior. <laughs> he exposes their corrupted Sabbath worship and he takes it down publicly and harshly. This is an optional healing. It wasn't an emergency. The guy wasn't bleeding out. He was fine. And Jesus picks a fight. And suddenly this goes from one other ordinary Sabbath sermon into a public, aggressive, bold confrontation of the Pharisees. And up until this point, Jesus and his disciples, they're rock stars. And for the most part, everybody likes him because he's healing people and doing all that kind of stuff. And if you didn't like him, you weren't allowed to say it publicly because what do you, what's wrong with Jesus, man? He's healing people. He's great. But instead of another boring Sabbath, Jesus makes it the day everything turned dangerous for him and his followers. And the Pharisees had become so misguided, this scene of this non-essential healing right in the middle of the synagogue on Sabbath has motivated the Pharisees, the scripture says, to conspire with a group called the Herodians. You know who they are? They, this is, the Pharisees are the ultra-Orthodox conservative religious leaders 
They conspire with the, with the political pragmatists who will embrace Judaism for votes and money or they will spur it or cast it off or insult it for votes or money. They are pragmatists. They're saying, I'm here to make life good for me. And if I have to embrace Herod, great. If I got to embrace the temple, great. What day is it? Is it temple embrace day? Great. Herod embrace day? Great. I don't care. These guys would normally be enemies. But Jesus has so disrupted the Sabbath, they now come together. So misguided by this scene, they conspire with these guys. And these were enemies. They've joined forces. And why? Because Jesus healed a guy with a withered hand on the Sabbath? See, the problem is this. His popularity is a pragmatic challenge for the status quo of both groups. It's not just the religious. This is where the narrative aspect of the gospel, and I want you to see this, this is a pivotal point. This is where the narrative aspect of the gospel begins to change. And it turns, and the first seeds of the crucifixion are sown right here in this story. But I want to look at the spiritual aspect of what Jesus is doing here. He is teaching that the Sabbath is just a shadow. So, like, let me ask you a question. When you're walking down the street or wherever, in the house or whatever, and you see a shadow, do you just stop and say, look at that shadow? <laughs> no, your natural instinct is what? It's to turn around and what is casting that shadow? And what I want you to see is that the Sabbath was merely just a shadow of Jesus. We have the reality in Christ. And what can happen sometimes is we stare so much at a shadow, we miss the force that is causing the shadow. Jesus was the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. The religious Sabbath was just a shadow of the thing to come. That's why in Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, you know what it calls Jesus? Calls him our rest. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verse 3 through 5. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about those who don't have faith. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. What Paul is explaining in Hebrews is this. The creation is a picture of Christ. The seventh day is a picture of Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the rest. They have entered the rest through me. And if you aren't through me, you're not going to get any rest. We have entered the rest of the Sabbath portrayed in creation, a rest that was to come. Christ is now that Sabbath. Christ is the rest. We don't need the shadow anymore. The substance of the shadow is with us through word and spirit and truth. The Lord of the Sabbath has completed the spiritual role of the Sabbath. And now the Sabbath as we know it is gone. The Sabbath no longer has power to cause guilt. The Sabbath no longer has power to be something that you have to have as a weight. You've got to go to church. You've got to do this. You've got to be that because the Sabbath, the Sabbath is powerless now because Christ says, I am the Sabbath. Now, 
There is contained in Scripture a command to not forsake the gathering together. Because Christ's followers love each other more than religion. And we're going to talk in detail about that in just a moment. But Jesus has abolished the Sabbath. After his death and resurrection, there is no more Sabbath, period, on the religious sense. There's still the rhythm of rest that we need, but the Sabbath is gone. With that in mind, I want to talk about the personal. What about us? I want to hitchhike on this idea that Jesus is the Sabbath. First, let me talk to you about something that I think is going to grab some of you by the heart. I want to talk about the pursuit of rest. Just so we're clear, let me remind you again, rest and Sabbath are the same thing biblically. They are synonyms. Rest, Sabbath, Sabbath, rest. And we define rest as humans, comfort, safety, satisfaction, resolution, fulfillment. Whether you're Christian, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're atheist, whatever you are, the core motivation for your struggle in life is one thing, and you don't even realize it. It's to find Sabbath, to find rest. People work hard all their lives hoping to have a comfortable retirement where they can rest. We work all week for the weekend so that we can rest. We're looking forward to a vacation so we can rest. Within your struggle and striving for life is evidence that you are captive to the creation rhythm of rest. And you're searching for rest, a Sabbath for life. And you don't even realize it. And you're confusing fake Sabbaths, fake rests for real Sabbath and real rest. And you spend your life hunting for moments of spiritual peace, completeness, earthly satisfaction, and that feeling that you have accomplished, you have arrived, you can breathe rest. And vacation sometimes can give you a small glimpse, a small taste of Sabbath. Sometimes it's the weekend. Sometimes maybe a special occasion feels like rest, feels like Sabbath, feels something like it's something different. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes we think an immoral relationship will bring us rest and satisfaction and fulfillment that we think we want and need. Sometimes we want the rest so bad we turn to substance abuse. Some of us turn to money. Yes, some of you turn to religion for your Sabbath. Here's the sad part. All those Sabbaths are temporary. Yet we worship them with our time, with our talent, with our money. And all they are are fleeting moments turning into memories. If we're lucky, good pictures with nice Instagram filters. And once real life rears its ugly head again, we're exhausted once more. Let me tell you something. Without Christ, there is no rest. Nor will there ever be. And your life will be one constant, endless struggle looking for peace and Sabbath and rest and satisfaction. 
It's like one constant exchange for fake temporary Sabbath and rest after another. And without Christ, that is your life. It is a struggle, a challenge, a, a trying, a wrestling, a, and just an attempt to find rest. And you are hopeless and restless until death. And even after death, there's no eternal comfort, no rest, no Sabbath without Jesus. And it ends as tragically as the struggle portrayed itself throughout your life. That's why people who seem to have it all continue to struggle like they are searching because the rest, the Sabbath they think they found in their money, their relationships, their success, it's not fulfilling. It's not recharging them. It's not blessing them. Let me tell you, the world's fake rest won't satisfy you. It didn't satisfy them. It's not going to satisfy you. That is why Jesus said this. Remember, Sabbath, rest. Rest, Sabbath. Now this passage starts to make sense, doesn't it? Come to me, all who, are la- all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find Sabbath. No one enters the rest without me, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In light of Sabbath, doesn't that start to make sense? When you read that, How does it make you feel? Is there some sort of inexplicable longing inside of you for what Jesus just described? How do I get there? I'd I'd like that. See, the Sabbath isn't a day for religion. A temporal worldly pleasure or a vacation or a drug. The Sabbath is our Jesus. That's our Sabbath. And this is why, this is why Sunday is special. This was the sermon preview this week. The laws of Sabbath have been replaced by a natural desire for connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me read this verse in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Remember, this is why Sunday is special. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What was he talking about in Hebrews 4? He's talking about rest. He's saying because of that rest, we've entered into that rest. Don't forget to to gather together and encourage each other on until that day comes when our rest is finally totally done and complete. Don't forsake it. Encourage one another as the day comes closer. See, let me tell you something. Skipping church isn't a sin. I I hate even saying that. (laughs) (laughs) But skipping church, listen carefully. It's not a sin, but it is a glaring symptom of ambivalence towards God's people. That's what it is. In fact... 
John has said many times, and if you remember, we studied all his epistles in detail, and he talked about this a lot. The best way to show that you are connected to God, that you have entered into that rest with Jesus, isn't religious prowess. It's resting with your brothers and sisters in your church. John stressed it many times. You might remember it when we went through. Here's one in 1 John chapter 3, 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death into life. In other words, out of struggle into rest. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death, struggle. Whoever, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life or rest abiding in him. That's a good one. Look what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are able are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's what I would tell you. I believe habitually shirking that day with your brothers and sisters in Christ is an indication of the condition of your heart. I'm not talking about missing every once in a while. You're sick. Sometimes you got to work. I get that. That happens. But it doesn't show that you're, when you miss time with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it doesn't show that your religion is weak. It shows your heart is distracted. And what we don't realize, church, is the closest we can get to really experiencing true Sabbath, true rest is being with our church family. That is why during that song, it was ridiculously powerful, especially for some of you that are really tired. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball to the band. I don't want the band to come up yet. Megan, this is a curveball. Can you just come up real quick? And I want you to play the song that we were talking about. Just play it on the piano. And I'm going to say a couple things because this has a potential. The song that she picked, that we, the last one in the set, we're doing it again. Because I think once you understand Sabbath and rest, it takes on a whole new meaning. And it'll explain why some of you were so emotional during that worship song. You didn't realize it, but you needed rest. You needed Sabbath. You see, something beautiful happens when the Spirit of God starts to transform your heart and life. You can tell because you fall in love with God's people. They fall in love with you. And you start to crave Christian fellowship and community. You are craving real Sabbath. Suddenly, you're no longer reliant upon the world's temporary rest. You realize your rest is in Christ. And the best way that it is earthly manifested is being with the rest of his kids. You're set free from religion and the Sabbaths that the world offers, and you fall in love with the people of God. That's why we meet on Sundays to celebrate, not on the Sabbath, but to celebrate Jesus who is our Sabbath. Can you see, can you see why approaching it this way when you make Sunday special in this light, it can't help but break out into worship. Can you see that? 
Can you see why your heart can begin to soar when truth couples with music and fellowship and creates this atmosphere of, wow, my heart is soaring and I can't explain it. Well, I can explain it. Jesus is your rest. There is no better way to rest or Sabbath than worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of rest. Not alone, by the way, I can worship God on my own. Well, if you have to, but it's not nearly as good as worshiping him with all those others who have entered into that same rest. Isn't this rest great? Yeah, I love it. Aren't you glad to be here? Yes, let's rest together. Let's Sabbath, let's worship the Sabbath, Jesus together. And when you look at it in that light, Sabbath slash rest slash Jesus isn't a chore. It should become a natural thing. A natural spiritual craving. Have you ever wondered why you crave it? Here's why. Jesus is your Sabbath. And when you realize Jesus is the Sabbath, And the best way to experience him is rest with his people in that light, in that light. Church, let me ask you a question. Why would you ever even consider missing it for some fake Sabbath rest the world has to offer? Why? It makes no sense. It's all a joke after that. Because this, this is the real Sabbath. Jesus and his redeemed. There's a calm that covers me When I kneel down at your feet It's a place of healing It's a place where I find freedom There's a place my don't with this part. There's no obligation to do this. I know some people feel that they have to. Do or don't. Up to you. God knows your heart and he's just happy to have you here singing to him. Make sense? I'm gonna lift my hands. I'm gonna lift my hands till I can reach heaven. I'm gonna shout your name till the walls come falling down.
one place to find rest. When you walk out that door, don't look for it any place else other than Jesus Christ. Don't look any place else other than Jesus Christ. Go with the love of God the Father, the grace of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace and rest. All God's children said, amen. Two, three, four.